two readings today. The first one is from Isaiah, chapter 29, verse 13 to 24. And that can be found on page 707 in the Bibles in front of you. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Therefore, once more I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish, the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who do woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us, who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? In a very short time, will not Lebanon be turned into a fertile field? and the fertile field seem like a forest. In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The ruthless will vanish, the mockers will disappear, and all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. Those who with a word make someone out to be guilty who ensnare the defender in court and with false testimony deprive the innocent of justice. Therefore, this is what the Lord who redeemed Abraham says to the descendants of Jacob. No longer will Jacob be ashamed. No longer will their faces grow pale. When they see among them their children, the work of my hands, they will keep my name holy. They will acknowledge the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who are wayward in spirit will gain understanding. Those who complain will accept instruction. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 to 31, and that's on page 1142. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom 
and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may bo- so that no one may boast before him it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness holiness and redemption therefore as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Well, thanks very much and uh, thank you for your welcome. It's a great pleasure to be here and uh, I'm grateful to Bruce for the invitation uh, to, uh, uh, to be with you. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for every good gift that you give to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of this day and the opportunity it brings us to meet together in this way. And we pray, Father, that in your mercy you would bring your words to our hearts in the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, that we might see your Son love him, and serve him gladly until he comes. Amen. Uh, Well, the message of today's passage from 1 Corinthians is that the church, its people and its ministry, are a demonstration of God's power. The church that seems so weak, the church that is confused by heresy and weakened by division, and compromised by ungodliness, and its ministry of gospel preaching that seems so out of touch, so unimpressive, so much yawning, the church and the preaching of the cross are a demonstration of God's power. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of God in Corinth. Uh, It's uh, 24, 25 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus, in this multicultural, multi-religious, sexually promiscuous, commercial centre, Corinth, not Sydney, the grace of God has brought a church of Jesus into being. And the challenge the church is facing is that it lives with two opposite realities. It has received grace and been enriched in every way, verse 4 of chapter 1 says, but it is divided and embroiled in quarrelling in uh, chapter 1, verse 11. The cause of this division is celebrity in a city obsessed with celebrity. Corinth, not Sydney. And Paul says to a church that is making celebrities of its leaders, the cross of Christ does away with all that kind of thinking. The cross that looks like weakness and foolishness in the world, is God's power and God's wisdom. Wisdom to reveal God, 
power to save people from hell, power to transform people. The cross of Christ does all that. But in the eyes of the world, it is weak and foolish. Not only that, but God's people, the church, look weak and foolish. And God's servants, the very people they want to make into celebrities, God's servants look weak and foolish as they bring a weak and foolish-sounding message. To this church, Paul says, you are the sign of God's wisdom and power. Well, how can that be? He's got four reasons. The message of the cross creates the church. The church is God's own people. The church is God's surprising people. And the church is God's confident people. So let's think about each of those. Firstly, the message of the cross creates the church. Uh, If you can see it, look with me at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. This is what Christianity says. God has made himself known in the world. Not through philosophical discourse, not through a crisp mathematical formula. God has made himself known in a particular event in history. And because it takes place in history, it's clothed with the dirt and sweat and tears of history. Christ crucified. If you want to know God, look at the man on the cross. That's what Christianity says. Now, to his own Jewish countrymen, Jesus' crucifixion was a blasphemy. The Jewish scriptures said that a man hanging on a tree is cursed by God. I recently had lunch with an eminent uh, Jewish lawyer. Kanishka, he said, the Messiah cannot be crucified. The non-Jews of Corinth, the Greek elite, the ancient world, prided themselves on wisdom and philosophy and learning they didn't like the preaching of Christ crucified any more than the Jewish people did. To say that his death was to cure our sin was an affront to those who were confident of their own morality and impressed by their own wisdom. And I need hardly say that contemporary skeptics are scandalized by the cross. The cross says that we are sinners who need saving And human pride does not like that. The message of the cross is that God took flesh and lived among us and laid down his life on the cross for us, for our sins, in our place. He bore the punishment in his body that our sins deserved, saving us from the judgment we deserved 
saving us from separation from God. Jesus' death on the cross was no footnote to history, no tragic ending to a life too beautiful for this world. It was the self-giving of God to bear in himself the judgment that we deserved so that we might be freed from hell, so that we might be cleansed of our sin, so that we might be welcomed as forgiven sinners and embraced as loved and adopted children. That's what the cross did. And no human wisdom can work that out. When Paul preached this message in Corinth, some believed. For God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. And the little church in Corinth were those who believed. So we must have the cross. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And the message of the cross is indispensable for disciple making. Uh, now, I hardly need say that we live in a challenging environment for making disciples. Our culture is suspicious of revelation. We don't believe in truth. We only trust what we experience. We certainly don't believe what authority figures tell us if we don't know it for ourselves. If people are interested in the spirit, it's private, not something I do in community. It's inner, not something expressed in the public sphere. It's an encounter with the divine self, not uh, God. We must engage with all of that. We must find a way of speaking that connects with our culture. But we won't make disciples without the message of the cross. We might grow our church. We might build community. We might do good. We might win friends. But unless we proclaim Christ crucified with its condemnation of sin and its demand for repentance, without its, with its humiliating exposure of human pretension, and self-serving and its balm of forgiveness and promise of transformation unless we proclaim Christ crucified we won't make disciples we must have the cross in all its foolish offensiveness and unique power to save Christ crucified the message of the cross creates the church. Secondly, the church is God's own people. Look with me at verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. God chose, verse 27 says. God chose, it says again. Verse 28, God chose. Verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Three times in four verses, Paul draws attention to the fact that the church of Jesus in Corinth has come into existence because of God. He called them into relationship with himself through the gospel that was preached 
and which they believed. He chose them to be his people. It is because of God that they are in Christ Jesus. That is, they have received Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And God did it. Uh, now, in many places of the Bible and from the words of Jesus himself, we hear him say, come to me. And the Bible says to us, turn to the Lord. Both of these things are true, but here the emphasis is that God chose the Corinthians. Now, why is that? Why does Paul emphasise God calling the Corinthians? The answer is that they are taking pride in the people that God used to bring the message to them. And their pride in their leaders is causing them to divide from one another. But in reality, it was God who chose them to be his. The messengers were just the instruments by which he gathered them to himself. So their division from one another and their pride in their leaders is foolish and misplaced. Paul says to them, the church of Jesus was chosen by God. Verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not boast. Don't boast in your leaders. Boast in the Lord. Uh, well, there are at least two consequences of the fact that the church is the people whom God has made his own. Firstly, those whom God calls... He keeps. He who gave his son for you will not let you go. The sins and struggles and rebellion and foolishness of the Corinthian church, as we read it in this letter, is mind-boggling in its breadth and depth. But Paul never gives in to the idea that they're not going to make it. Chapter 1, verse 8, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's true, it would have to be God who did it, wouldn't it? God who has called you into fellowship with his son is faithful. God is keeps his own and the second consequence of this is that we owe our life in Christ to God in God's kindness he uses all kinds of people to point us to Jesus to bring us the message of the cross our parents pastors Sunday school teachers members of our church friends colleagues I told you I had a conversation with a friend. I had another friend when we were teenagers who started to pray for me and I had a grandmother who prayed for me. We give heartfelt thanks for those who loved us enough to share with us something of the Lord Jesus. But we never become their followers, do we? We never become their disciples. We become sons and daughters of the living God sisters and brothers of the Lord Jesus and we give our thanks and praise our body soul and strength our heart and heads and hands to God 
and for his kingdom. The message of the cross creates the church. The church is God's own people. The church is God's surprising people. Uh, Paul points the Corinthians to themselves as an example of the foolish wisdom of God that is revealed in the cross. It's a kind of backhanded compliment, really. Verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Paul says to the Corinthians, who were you? When God called you into his kingdom, what were you like? Were you impressive? Were you rich? Were you the people who exercised clout in this city? And the answer is no. Not many of them were the people whom the world thought of as great ones. Of course, the fact that not many of them were great ones does not mean that not any of them were great. Some of them, as we find out later in the letter, certainly appear to belong to the patron class. There were some, but there were not many. Because it's hard for the wealthy and the powerful and the influential to say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. As the hymn says. The people in the world who have everything that the world prizes and values find it hard to acknowledge that they are naked and guilty and needy before the holiness and majesty of God. But some do. In God's mercy, some do. And God's preference for the unimpressive, God chose the weak to shame the strong. God chose the foolish to shame the wise. God's preference for the unimpressive comes as a slap in the face for human pride in at least a couple of ways. Firstly, nobody forces God's hand. God has made it plain to the whole world that the things that the world counts as significant in evaluating the worth of people, God is not impressed by at all. God does not stand in awe of wealth. God does not bow before human knowledge and wisdom. He does not marvel or tremble at powerful dynasties. No one will appear before God and say, don't you know who you're talking to? Nobody forces God's hand. And second, by choosing the things that are not, God demonstrates that his love is free and gracious. He saves because he loves. 
He saves because He loves freely and graciously and generously. He saves people, not because of our impressiveness, but despite our unimpressiveness. Not because of our impressiveness, but because of His impressiveness. He saves not because of what we bring, but in spite of the fact that nothing we bring can impress God, since everything we have, we received from Him. He saves by grace out of His love. Now look around you, discreetly. These are people that God loves. There are more of them out there, by the way. Well, that's a surprise, isn't it? And a challenge. These are people God loves. Do you? Are we growing in eagerness to meet together? Does it cause you pain when you're not able to be present? I guess we've discovered how painful that is in recent years. Are you willing to share your life in Christ with these people? Uh, If you're inclined to be a little embarrassed about the people God has called to himself then remember that he's not embarrassed to say that he's called you. And we ought to ask God to help us love the people he loves and to be loved by them. That's a vision for church, isn't it? And that would only happen by God's power, wouldn't it? The power of the cross the great leveller, the great home and hope of God's people. The church is God's own people, the church is God's surprising people, and finally the church is God's confident people. Verse 30, it is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In our culture, no less than in the ancient culture of Corinth, people are given to various forms of self-promotion and self-exaltation. As crass as the selfie or the forged CV, as acceptable as the car we drive or what we put on our business card. But in the congregation of the people whom God has called, whom God has gathered at the foot of his cross, these people have just one boast, Jesus Christ our Lord, Jesus Christ and him crucified. No one may boast before the Lord, but if anyone boasts, let them boast in the Lord. There is a song of the disciple who's been called by the cross of Christ. 
not a song of self-glorying, a song of the Saviour. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Blessing and honour and glory and power be his forever and ever. And this is what God's people are to boast in. Jesus has become for them, for us, for many of us, wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Uh, Three words drawn from three spheres of ancient society, the law court, the temple and the marketplace. The law court declared right with God. The temple washed clean for God's service. The market set free from slavery to sin and death by the cross of Jesus. Jesus Christ, righteousness, holiness and redemption. He bore my punishment. He washed me clean. He set me free. Therefore, boast in Christ, for Christ is our all. The song of the disciple, one Lord, one Saviour, one hope, one goal, one guardian, one truth, one confidence, one song, one boast, Christ crucified. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As the band comes out, why don't we just spend a moment just to pray and reflect on what we've heard from God's word today and how God's been speaking to us and then after that we're going to stand and sing. So let's just have a moment to close our eyes and reflect and pray under God. Father, we thank you for your incredible grace shown to us in the cross of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you have chosen us. And though we're a motley crew, Lord, we are your precious people who are loved dearly. And may the song of our hearts be, Worthy is your Son, the Lamb. All praise and honour and glory to him for what he has done in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.